0: I'm Crystal Knight, and welcome back to the show brought to you by Newsweek. This week, I am speaking with Alexis McGill-Johnson. She is the National President of Planned Parenthood of America, and we will discuss where the organization is headed after the fall of Dobbs, or also known as Roe versus Wade. Last June, the Supreme Court overturned the constitutional right to abortion, but we also saw last fall where voters in Kansas, in Michigan, in Kentucky, pushed back against their state legislatures and said, we want access to abortions. We want women to have access to adequate time to get an abortion. This issue is so important to me because I serve as the board chair for Planned Parenthood of Tennessee and North Mississippi. Serving on the board for the last five years has given me a front row seat to how access and limited access and no access has impacted women and families all across this country. Women are now having to be navigated to nearby states or far states if their state or a state nearby does not allow them to gain access. And even there's a judge right now in Texas who is trying to restrict access to the abortion pill. So many people in this country look to Planned Parenthood for a number of healthcare options, not just abortions. Many of these people also include men. So why do Republicans, why do people in this country want to restrict access for women and families and people who are seeking abortions? We'll break all of that down today as we speak with Alexis McGill Johnson to understand where the country is, and where we can go. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Crystal
0: before we get into all of the things about what's happening with Roe versus Wade and all of the many other things that are surrounding Planned Parenthood, I wanted our listeners to really understand a little bit more about you and why you decided to step up and become the national president after serving on the national board. Why was Planned Parenthood, the mission of Planned Parenthood, important for you to take on? Also, as a woman of color, what does this moment mean for where we are today?
1: Oh, wow. Um, Absolutely. Big question Uh, to go back almost three and a half years when um, the organization, I was actually still on the board. Uh, The organization was going through a very significant leadership transition. And I was asked to step in as an interim to help stabilize the organization and ensure that we would be prepared. Um, This was 2019 to go into the 2020 election, knowing that um, every election for the work we do is is often um, existential. And, um, you know, it was really, uh, it was really an easy decision. I, I um, went to my business partner and asked her, you know, her thoughts. I went to my husband and asked him um, his thoughts. And I said, you know, it's just going to be temporary. I'm just going to get us through 2020, maybe mm-hmm. 18 months. And, um, they both said yes so quickly. I almost didn't have uh time to, to to pause. Um, but I think that's in large part because everyone understood how important the organization, the work that we do uh is, um, how the the millions of patients that we serve every day who depend on um, access to sexual and reproductive health care, including abortion, um, how important that is. And I think as a Black woman, you know, the um the opportunity to um not only to step in as, as as someone to represent the community and the voices, but to also really start to bend the infrastructure and the work mm-hmm. um, and some of the healing and reckoning that I knew the organization needed to do um, around issues of race. Um, so, you know, for so many reasons, I I stepped in and stepped up. My My mentor always said the line for leadership is short. Absolutely. Um, it comes with comes with a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I, you know, it is I can I can say without certain not just the external forces, but but um, just being a, a leader of so many talented and mo- motivating people, um, how much I have changed being in this role.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for your service. If I haven't said it before, I want to say it here. Thank you for what you do, not only for this country, but for black women, for black leadership. Um, representing not only for us, but many people who likely look up to you and the work that you do. So I wanna get into the questions because we have a lot of things to talk about today. What we already know is that Roe versus Wade, the official ruling in the law of the land, it fell last spring or early summer and it impacted so many states across this country. And I wanted you to just kind of open up and talk about it for, you know, where the country is right now? And what is Planned Parenthood's position moving forward, understanding that about 15 to you know 20 states in this country now have restricted access for women to gain safe legal abortions in this country?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we are about seven months in since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, and I, I don't think the harm can be overstated. Uh, As you said, um, a number of states have moved forward with extreme abortion bans and and restrictions. Uh, One in three women of reproductive age in the U.S., more trans and non-binary people cannot have access to abortion in their state. Um, And it's complicated everything related to, um, you know, sexual and reproductive health care. You know, there are people who... Um, are experiencing um, miscarriages that aren't able to get access to abortion care, ectopic pregnancies that aren't able to get access to care. Um, Providers are are experiencing a lot of chaos and confusion about their own livelihood and whether or not they're able not only to provide access to abortion, uh, but also information about abortion, advise patients where to go to seek one if they need one. Um, We are seeing increasingly patients having to travel thousands of miles out of state to get access to care, and that means practically, right, that they have to take off from work. They have to um, find childcare because most people who access abortion are already parents. They may have to find elder care. Right. Um, and so, in in so many ways, the disruption uh, in healthcare uh, broadly, mm-hmm. like we are really experiencing a, a a public health crisis. And so, Planned Parenthood, you know, our you know our work is to you know ensure that we can um, help people get the care they need, get get care to patients and patients to care. Uh, and so we have been working with our affiliates across the country, those who are in ban states and those who are in states that uh, continue to have access to make sure that um, we're supporting the navigation of the patients, mm-hmm. um, that we are supporting the protection of the providers, you know, uh, staying compliant with what they can do within their state, but also that no frivolous lawsuits and other things come after them. We are fighting. We are litigating all those states that you mentioned who have restrictions. We are we are up in all of those courts fighting. Um, That's great. You know, and we are we're really talking to the public about about the impact, telling mm. the stories um, because we know that the majority of people believe that Roe should have been the law of the land. That right. Roe was never enough anyway, and so we are trying to make it plain to them why they can't have what they want in their state and who to hold accountable. So in
0: states where it has been severely restricted because of the bans or even because of the six week ban, why is it important to continue to have an affiliate or multiple affiliates in those type of states? So, for instance, I'm from Tennessee. Um, I'm the board chair for the Planned Parenthood of Tennessee and North Mississippi. And basically abortions are gone in our state. But, you know, we fight every day to continue um, doing advocacy around the importance of it and letting the public know that Planned Parenthood is still here to stay. We think it's important in this state, but from a national perspective, I think many people would say, well, if you can't do abortions, what else can you do? Why do you still exist, particularly in a state where the laws have severely impacted women's opportunity to gain access? Why is it important that affiliates like those in these states that have these major restrictions, why is it important that they still exist?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for your service as a volunteer of Planned Parenthood uh, uh, Tennessee. I think that it is so important um, for us to remember that that for many communities, Planned Parenthood is the first point of entry into the healthcare system.
0: People come
1: not just for access to abortion, they come for birth control, they come for STI testing, they come for breast cancer screenings, for gender affirming care. They come to literally be seen. And Planned Parenthood represents that. Planned Parenthood represents that uh, provision of care without judgment, uh, no matter what. And so um, it is incredibly important to continue to have health centers in communities for people to get access to information and education, um, as well as what what, uh, services can be provided. Now, at the same time, we also know that um, in states like Tennessee um, and, and others, the there are lawmakers that are trying to push further beyond just banning abortion in those states. They are mm-hmm. looking at ways to ban access to contraception, to IVF, right. to... You know all sorts of things. And so um, it's also important from an advocacy standpoint for Planned Parenthood to have a presence um, to help support the the pushback um, that needs to happen um, in advocacy in those states as well. And speaking
0: of other restrictions that lawmakers in a number of states are doing, there's a judge in Texas right now who is fighting the abortion pill. And so many people may say, well, what does that actually mean? So in Methapristone, um, women are are able to access um, a, a pill to, you know, go through their their own individual process of administering an abortion. Um, but there is a ruling that is likely to come and it was stayed or delayed rather until February the 24th. So at the time of this recording, the abortion pill as it exists right now is still intact. But what are you expecting if this judge is able to overturn um, this access for this particular pill, what's the next point of entry that women or people who are trying to access abortions, what's the next step for them to have any type of contraception that would alleviate the challenge of not having the mifepristone?
1: Again, it's like we cannot overstate the seriousness of this case right now. So, um, as you mentioned, there is a case in Texas, in, in Amarillo, where anti abortion activists have essentially you know, shopped for a judge to um, end the FDA's more than two decades old approval of mifepristone.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, mifepristone has been a safe, effective, common abortion regimen. And um, the, the impact of this ruling that could come, as you said, as early as February 24th is that it would not just eliminate access to mifepristone in states where it is banned or banned you know um you know or where like a state where the the ban is only at 6 weeks right it would eliminate access to mifepristone for this use uh, nationwide you know this is about you know as much about new york and california and illinois as it is about tennessee and alabama and mississippi and right. so i think we have to actually really pay attention to um the devastation that um that ending access to mifepristone have been on top of uh, already a um an abortion healthcare crisis right we are literally living in a public um healthcare emergency mm-hmm. because of the loss of um, a- abortion access in so many states and this would just intensify that um, exponentially and so i think we all need to be really concerned um you know the same this same um court is also um, there's another case before this court that, uh, essentially is trying to bankrupt Planned Parenthood affiliates in Texas, as well as, wow. uh, the national office with baseless allegations that, you know, um, you know, on, on our affiliates there. And I think that, you know, it just goes to demonstrate how much, um, misinformation and how much, um, you know, the, the capture and control, of the judiciary during the last administration is now showing up in our ability to get access to health care across um, across this country. And so, you know, we have to be deeply concerned about While we saw in the last election, you know, everywhere where freedom was on the ballot, people voted in favor for abortion access. Absolutely. And yet so many lawmakers are now um, or, or so many courts or anti-activists. Um, are using um, different mechanisms to try to to control um, access, even, even though it's not consistent with where the majority of people in the state are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a crisis of democracy as much as it is a crisis of healthcare.
0: Absolutely. And you talked about democracy being on the ballot and the midterms, you know, just happened last fall. And what we saw even before the midterms in Kansas, there was a big pushback from the voters, also in the state of Michigan as well, What's the message that Planned Parenthood is sending to women through voters who are showing up and rejecting everything that their state legislative bodies are trying to put on the ballot that restrict access? What do those two states' wins mean for this larger movement?
1: Well, I mean, you're right. It, from Kansas to Kentucky, from Montana to Michigan, right? Like <laughs> right. You have such varied states in mm-hmm. there that, um, that showed up. Um in um, support of reproductive freedom, And I think what it shows us is is that the, you know, the public is on the side of this issue. They do not want um, state lawmakers to be making decisions about their own bodies. They want to make these decisions with their medical providers, right? right like right. full stop. And so I think what has actually shown the opposition, what has shown some of these very um, hostile, Um, folks to uh, reproductive health is that they can't win when Mm -hmm. they put it to the people that, you know, the, what, what happened when um, the Dobbs decision was that the decision was returned to the state. So it was returned to the people. Mm -hmm. And the people said, we want to continue to have access to care. And so rather than let them have what they want in their state, Mm -hmm. they have tried to find these other mechanisms to continue control. And that's why we are facing the, the, these fights in these court systems because they continue to want to take away power and control from people.
0: And speaking of power and control, one of the things that we know as Black women, women of color, and Black women experience disparities within the healthcare system in this country. It's my understanding that Black health equity is something that you are absolutely passionate about. And I wanted you to speak to our listeners about. Why are you passionate about this this particular challenge that many women experience, not just through Planned Parenthood, but through a number of, you know, avenues as they're entering into the healthcare system? Why is black health equity important and what can Planned Parenthood do? What what can women look to Planned Parenthood um, as, you know, a potential outlet or someone who actually understands that this is a challenge and how they can combat it within
1: the system? When I leave this job, Mm -hmm. I want to be able to say that Planned Parenthood is the best, one of the best places for Black women and femmes to get their sexual and reproductive health care. I
0: want to be able to
1: say that based on evidence Mm -hmm. that we done to ensure the quality of our care across the board Mm -hmm. um, to patients and to the, the Black patient experience specifically, I want to be able to say it in terms of how we have actually moved the needle to close disparities on everything from abortion equity to contraception equity to um, reducing rates of cervical cancer and um, and STI testings, all things that we uniquely do, right. we should be able to say that we, um, you know, that we are here in community and we are able to serve communities well. And so what will that mean? That means we'll need to train our providers and our um, frontline workers and health center staff around bias, de-bias training. Um, we will have to make sure that um, we are holding ourselves accountable um, to our partners and communities and, and ensuring that everyone has um, uh, an, an incredibly valuable experience when they come to Planned Parenthood. And so I think it just means that we have to, um, you know, we know that when we do that work, it it doesn't always, it doesn't just serve Black women, right? It, of course. It actually, um, because, you know, we think about this through an intersectional lens, it means that it's going to force us to look through how are we serving our um, patients who may be immigrants, um, Latino speaking po- population, um, Latin populations, um, you know, rural communities, um, LGBTQ communities, like all of the constituents and stakeholders that we serve in a community, we know that when we do the work um, for communities that have traditionally, um, we have not served the best, it means that we um, end up serving everyone um, in a better way.
0: A few states have been using this term bodily autonomy um, instead of abortion. And obviously those are two different terms, but there is some intersectionality about the two terms. How does Planned Parenthood improve its effectiveness um, about talking about, you know, those terms, particularly from a state by state basis? Every state is different. Every state. Maybe their affiliate chooses to handle it in a different way or the state legislature chooses to handle it in a different way. But I just wanted you to address just the terminology around how we message about what the organization does. And what does that mean in states that are particularly harder to um, message, you know, the public on?
1: I think it all comes down to the freedom to do with your body what you want, right? What Mm -hmm. you choose. And, you know, and so I think bodily autonomy helps um, capture a much broader perspective around everything from your decision to uh, not be pregnant, your decision to have gender affirming care because your identity because um, you want to reflect your the identity that you feel. You know all of these things are um you know within the realm of 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 your choice, your ability to be able to control your body versus um, having a lawmaker make those decisions for you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think, you know, at the end of the day, freedom is 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 at the center of all of these movements. And so when right. I think about um the the kind of intersectionality as you as you named, um, there is a strong kind of correlation between the the efforts to, um, to restrict and repress, mm-hmm. not just around abortion access, but also LGBTQ access, also mm-hmm. voting rights, you know, all of the ways in which we actually express ourselves, um, they are under attack. And so I think it's really important for us to have the most expansive language around reproductive freedom and make sure that we're also vocally supporting our support for abortion rights, um, because we do believe that people um, uh, should have the freedom to make decisions for themselves one of the
0: other things many people may or may not know is that there are many men who access Planned Parenthood affiliates for different types of services. And I wanted you to just tell us if you've seen, particularly after the fall of Roe, has there been an increase in men coming to Planned Parenthood, particularly around vasectomies or any other type of care? And is there a correlation between what happened last year to what, we're experiencing right now numbers increasing among male patients or male identifying patients.
1: Yes. Planned Parenthood has always seen male patients. Mm-hmm. We have seen um, certainly an uptick, not just um, post Dobbs, but also um, actually post 2016 um, after um, the last administration came into being, we, um, we saw an uptick because people were concerned about their, um, their reproductive rights. So we saw, you know, we saw um people coming in to get access to IUDs. And we saw men coming in to get access to vasectomies. They also come in for STI testing. They also right. come in you know, with their partners to be part of those decisions. And so there are no shortage of men and um, mm-hmm. male patients who identify um, as men coming into uh, Planned Parenthood to get access to services. I think what's really important is that we also bring them into the conversation differently, right? That right. we make sure that they um you know there are many men who are upset about these rulings who understand the impact not just um you know not just personally but understand the impact on their you know on their family members on their coworkers on their friends on their children Um, And so, you know, I I'm actually hearing many more men in conversation um, about uh, what's happening with reproductive rights and freedom and um, and asking really good, important questions around how to be stronger allies, be stronger advocates and show up differently in this next iteration.
0: That's great. And we need more men to speak up. Because this is not, like you said, this isn't just an issue that affects women or people who identify as women. This is something that affects an entire family, an entire country. And the last question that I wanted to ask was really around navigation. You talked about this at the beginning in states where um, people who are you know seeking to access abortion they're having to be navigated to another state what does that mean i understand it but for listeners who say well what does a navigation process look like what does it mean is it legal is it safe we've seen in some states where i think in texas where they have you know brought forth legislation that says if you are Even attempting to assist a woman or anyone trying to access an abortion, you could be fined, Um, you could face some type of legal trouble. So could you talk to us about just the whole process of navigation after Dobbs and why that's important and why we have people who can stand in the gap for women who are having to travel to other states?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So, um, so we have actual patient navigators, who are people who work with someone who's seeking access to abortion outside of their state, because it's either banned in their state, or they need help getting um, securing um, travel or what have you. And essentially they act as a, a concierge, right? To help them kind of connect to abortion funds, identify and secure an appointment, understand all of the things that they need to do in terms of securing travel, um, you know, bus money, car money, uh, a hotel money, all of the things that that add up to um, to going on essentially an abortion journey. And so Um, So our patient navigators are there to help fill that gap of information. It's confusing. Um, The laws are changing. There's lots of litigation happening state by state, you know, week by week. And so I think it's really important to have up-to-date information and have somebody that who can stay with you on your journey so that you have someone trusted that you can share and that can help you get access to the care that you need. Um, It is insane that we need it, right? It is insane that people... Um, That there are lawmakers out there trying to criminalize the provision of basic information to get out of state. That there are lawmakers out there who are trying to hold their citizens and residents hostage to bad discriminatory laws. Um, And so, you know, I think Planned Parenthood continues to, to stand in the gap to make sure that people have the basic information that they need to make the decisions that they want.
0: How do you stay recharged for this fight? This is a um, busy season. It's always busy. This is a big job. Um, lots of stress. Lots of politics. High level of information that's happening because you're you know managing all of the information across this entire country. How do you continue to be present and energized to support every woman and? People who are seeking the support of Planned Parenthood, how are you able to go home at night, recharge and come back day in and day out and continue to do this job with all of the energy and the momentum that you have?
1: I carry the stories every time I say I work for Planned Parenthood. I, you know, inevitably, if it's, if it's a room of more than two people, I get a story of how Planned Parenthood was there for them in the moment and why Um, someone in their family, themselves, um, what they understand um, our work to be. And that in itself is just fuel. Um, It reminds me of as hard as, you know, days can be, it is a big job. Um, Someone else is going through a a much tougher day and a much Mm -hmm. tougher journey. And they're facing a, um, you know, a public health care crisis in a state that is not allowing them to get the care that they need. And so I carry that um, and I remember you know, um, I have to say like the last three and a half years it is it, it, it it's been you know <laughs> one yeah. thing and another right you know 2020 was all the things mm-hmm. Dobbs you right. know and then you come you know I come into um, 23, um, just with a with a, a very clear focus um, and purpose uh, on what it means to really, um, support people in their journeys now, and to support and empower people who want to fight back and build that infrastructure for them to do so. That to me is is what keeps me recharged, um, because I know there's there, we deserve better. Our people deserve better.
0: Absolutely, we do. That's that's, a, that's such a great ending in that we do deserve better, because this is what our country has asked for, and this is what our voters are demanding of our country is that we provide these safe, free legal access to abortions and access to adequate healthcare um, that is not a given in this country. Um, Alexis, is there anything else you'd like to just leave with our listeners about the mission, about where the organization is going before we close?
1: Yeah. Just wherever you are, there is, there is something you can do to be a part of the work. If you want to support a patient, you can support abortion funds. You can support local Planned Parenthoods. You can support independent providers if you want to engage in the fight, you can join, you can go to bandsoff.org and get information about where the, you know, where all of the organizing and mobilizing is happening. If you are in a company and you want to engage your coworkers, you can, you can ask questions of, of where your company is, is showing up. If you are on a university campus, you know, <laughs> you can ask the university what to do, right. like wherever you are. Um, Now is not the time to stay neutral. Now is the time to actually get involved and make sure that all of the institutions that you are a part of are also involved because like literally people um, um, are counting on us and counting on you um, to really build that infrastructure of hope around them.
0: Thank you so much. Again, this has been Alexis McGill Johnson, the National President of Planned Parenthood of America, speaking with us today. I really want to thank you so much for stopping by and sharing the latest and where the organization is headed, considering all the people who are trying to fight against adequate access for people in this country. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Crystal.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to the Crystal Night Show.